Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Hi everyone, Om Shanti and welcome to America Meditating Radio in collaboration with The Next Normal. I'm your host, Sister Dr. Jenna. Each time we meet on these special occasions, I'm usually a different person. I've been finding myself going into a deeper resource of my own inner being, and it's almost as if I know nothing. Like every time I have a deep realization, it's as if I knew nothing at all. And even things that I stood firm on that I thought, like, this is really important. You must believe in this. A realization emerges, a deep innate feeling of purity and truth comes to the surface of my mind, and it just doesn't matter. You know, it's like we're all needing to move further into the divinity of the soul and the sacred, and we've got so many beautiful people on the planet that's helping us to get there. Today, my special guest, a return guest on America Meditating Radio is Dr. Rabbi Wayne Dosick, who teaches and counsels about faith ethical values, life transformations, and evolving human consciousness. He's well known for his quality scholarship and sacred spirit. He is the rabbi of the Elia Minion, a retired visiting professor at the University of San Diego, and host of the monthly internet radio program, Spirit Talk Live, heard on Healthy LifeNet. He's also the best-selling award-winning author of nine critically acclaimed books and author of more than 400 articles of religious, political, and social commentary. His new book is entitled Radical Loving, One God, One World, One People. Rabbi Dosik is a sought-after speaker and has been interviewed extensively in the media, including Good Morning America, The Larry King Show, CNN, NPR, and he joins us today to discuss the state of our present-day world and a bold visionary spirit-filled blueprint of its transformation and evolution through radical loving and awesome holiness. Thank you for joining us today, Rabbi Dosik. I love having you. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Shalom, and thank you so much for those kind words. And I know that I join all your other friends and your students and your believers all over the world in thanking God for your health and your well-being. We were worried about you. We were so, so glad that you're doing well. Thank you so much for your blessings. It's completely wholeheartedly received. So let's get right into it. What looks like a devastating consequence of this global pandemic, there are many silver linings that we've also witnessed. What have been your quiet thoughts that are kind of showing you exactly why these times are upon us? Well, first of all, we have these technologies that we didn't have before. And maybe it was over the last 30, 40 years, God getting us ready for this time of isolation so that we would be able to communicate with each other through smartphones and computers and have deliveries from 
Amazon and Grubhub and all those other things. Otherwise, the isolation for many would have been devastating. But for me, the greatest lesson is that right in our face was put the choice of being individual, selfish, or striving for the common good. So just for example, people would say we have to reopen the businesses of America. And that was true. We did, except we had to be very, very careful not to expose ourselves to great disease and great harm. But there were two different attitudes. The first attitude was, I hope we can reopen America very soon because the only way I can feed my family, the only way I can pay my rent, the only way I can retain my dignity is having my pizza shop or my dry cleaners or my corner grocery store open. The other choice was, we must reopen America because I need to go to the bar to go dancing and the beach to get a suntan. In many ways, the issue of our times was put right in our face, the individual rights and freedoms versus the common good, the greatest good, the highest good. And part of what has happened to America over these last 20, 30, 40 years, and in the world as well, but in America because we know it best, is that the notion of e pluribus unum on which America was built, out of many, one. And we were that melting pot where all the religions and all the ethnicities and all the cultures and all the backgrounds were becoming one strong country, one strong group of people. Now it seems as if it's a me, me, me society. My needs, my special interests, my goals. Or not me, not me. I'm not perpetrator. I'm the poor victim. Don't blame me for anything. And that's what's been up. And now the pandemic put it in our face. So I wrote, I need to be one again. We need oneness consciousness. We are all children of the one God. We are striving for the common good. And then the pandemic hit us in the face. And all the notions of aspiration became real life choices. And that's the state of the world that we're in right now and the choices that are right before us to see if the melting pot, which has become a patchwork quilt of special interest, if we can be one again in oneness consciousness, children of the one God. That's a lot. That's a lot. I was pulling from what you said, attitude, which I thought was the key word here. The different attitudes that people emerged during this pandemic and what it showed was at the base actually of their principle of life. And I thought that even when America wanted or the need for America to open was that, you know, after a while you put 300 million people at home on a couch watching television, looking at social media all day, you're losing a whole era of people. And I felt that the opening up of the country was also just to try to generate energy rather than creating this society that just would sit back and just keep taking, you know, unemployment checks and watch TVs and do whatever it is without a vision and without enough education, understanding about the law of energy and the law of karma. I'm still just observing, Rabbi, you know, where we're going to end up with all of this. I'm just watching because 
there's so many factors involved. I mean, our country, which is supposed to be one nation under God, has been fractured by opinions on politics, gender, race, medicine. What would you say is the underlying greatest crisis of our generation of this time? Well, the underlying crisis is everything that wasn't working is crumbling and falling, and it will be rebuilt. We are on the precipice of the birth of a new world, and we're here. I mean, it's such a great honor and pleasure. I have this image of the souls in heaven wanting to come down to earth, and everybody says, me, 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 choose me, God, choose me, because it's such a time of renaissance and moving in the way we speak in this world of spirit from third dimension to fifth dimension. And I want to be there. I want to be there. And we are the ones who got chosen. We're here. And we are so fortunate because we're the ones who are going to bring this new world. Now, the pandemic brought all the bad things that you just listed. And they also brought a few good things. For example, when I used to have a service, the people who were there were the people who could walk into the room. And that meant a small group of people in San Diego. I happen to be in San Francisco right now. And yesterday, I was with people who were at my high holiday services this year, one from India, and one from Boston, and one from New York, and we gathered together as a spiritual community from the four corners of the earth. And I have been taking courses and seminars and learnings with my colleagues and friends and new teachers, literally from all over the world, which I could not have done before because the world is coming together in this oneness. And it may seem silly to say that technology is one of the helpers to the oneness, but it is. And so here we are. We're at the birth of a new world. We have no idea what it's going to look like. True, right? We'll see that we are here to help shape and form the new world. Back in the day when I used to race cars, there was a mechanic, and he was so eccentric. But one of the things I have remembered him saying to me is, Jen, always expect the unexpected. <laughs> and for whatever reason, that just stuck in me. You know, I was like 17, 18, 19, and I still remember that quote. Always expect the unexpected. Mm-hmm. And somehow that has allowed me to remain more stable with the you know, consistent changes that occur in our lives every day. It feels like we're at a confluence, you know, in my spiritual awakening when I had it in my 20s, I entered into a confluence age of awareness where I was letting go of my human limited belief systems and I had become privy to this beautiful golden aged world, which I now had to qualify my personality to enter into. That was my confluence age. That was my awakening. And as much as the confluence was so profound, it had a whole bunch of stuff going on inside of me. And I think on a very large universal level, the world has entered into a confluence age now, where, as you said, the old is no longer going to go because the new, that better world is in front of us. And there are some of us that are making effort to qualify those qualities that will be needed for the future, which are virtues, principles, values, an unlimited mentality, definitely not a me-me culture, more of a we culture. And you can really see it happening. I just think anytime we go through any change when we don't plan it, 
it gets a little jarring and the ego has to kind of run away for a little bit. And so that's always been a very powerful insight for me. You know, your new book has a lot of people talking, the radical, loving, one God, one world, one people. Tell us a little bit about the title, Radical Loving, and what are some of the main ideas that you especially like in the book? I like the whole book. Thank you very much. <laughs> By the way, did you have to give up your cars with your spiritual awakening? Yes. Oh, uh, well, okay. <laughs> I always love speaking with you. You're so wise. Anyway, look, the reality is that there is the theme song of the world to me seems to be these days, my God's better than your God. And if you don't believe me, I will try to convince you. And if I can't convince you, I will terrorize you, and I will fundamentalize you, and then I'll kill you if you don't believe. The reality is there's one God, one God who created us all. And that God says to us, you are all my children. I love you all. And I really don't care what you call me. I don't care how you approach me, because oneness does not mean sameness. When I taught for years at the University of San Diego, a private Catholic diocesan university, one of my closest friends in the entire world is a Jesuit priest. He does, Father O'Leary doesn't want me to be Catholic, and I don't want him to be Jewish. We find beauty in each other's approaches. So there is beauty in our different approaches to the one God. But the one God says to us, you are all my children. I love you, and I hope you will love me. And I hope you will learn to love each other. And I don't play favorites. I love you all equally. And so it's fine, whatever you call me and however you approach me. And that teaches us that we can each see the face of God. Not in a physical way, but in a spiritual way. If I look into the mirror, I see the face of God. And if I look at you, I see the face of God. And if I look at any other person or any other person looks at me, it's what it really means namaste. The divine in me acknowledges the divine in you. And if I see the face of God, there's only one possible response. That response cannot be anger, it can't be hate, it can't be fear. The only one possible response to seeing the face of God is profound love, radical love. And so we radically love God, and we radically love each other. You know, as you were saying about when you look into the face of me or anyone else, I see God. I was on vacation the other day, and I got a little miffed at the family because we drove all the way from Washington to D.C., and they didn't make me breakfast. <laughs> God, so upset. <laughs> and I just thought, how could you not make me breakfast after I drove all the way from D.C. to Miami? And my sister told my other sister, because the news came back to me, she said to my sister, her face looks different, no? <laughs> and the moral of that is when the absence of God's awareness and laws and principles and love left my consciousness, my human self was so apparent, which didn't have the best of energy and that was so apparent on the face. And so when you said that, that I see the face of God in everyone, I really resonate with that because sometimes I look at our brothers and sisters and I don't see who I call God Baba. I don't see Baba there. And I wonder to myself, 
what can trigger that child of God to have a moment of remembrance, to allow that energy and that love and that light and that awareness to slip back into their being. Rwanda, Germany, Cote d'Ivoire, China, all of these countries around the world, it continues where certain leaders conspire with the lower echelon to those who are in poverty to create so much terrorism in their countries. Liberia with Charles Taylor, where he educated all these young child soldiers to just go and hurt one another. And I look at their faces and I go, I wish they could just remember Baba. And so here it is. There's this one entity of consciousness available for all of us. And we're so distracted. Is there a method? Is there a way that we can somehow awaken the consciousness of God's children so that we can see more their face of God rather than when the absence of God is in their face, we can just say, well, it looks like they're not having that moment, but still I love them anyway. Well, we, at least for me, we begin on the uh, micro level that turns into a macro level. And that yeah. is, where do we get upset? Where don't we see the face of God? So you're standing in line at the bank, and the teller is taking forever. And you could get angry and frustrated and say, what's with this teller? Or the teenage clerk in the convenience store who can't make change for a dollar bill without using a calculator. Um, we, we can begin to see and say, hey, it's a human being, just like us. We see the face of God. We remember. So part of what we did with this book, you know, Chant, I'm sure you know very well, better than I, Chant has deep, deep roots in our consciousness. And so we made up a, what they, we used to call a CD, now they call it albums or downloads, I don't know what the kids call it these days. And one of the chants there is seeing the face of God, seeing the face of God, seeing the face, the face of God, seeing the face of God, reflecting the love of God, reflecting the light of God, seeing the face of God in you, seeing the face of God. And so we ask people to learn that song, to learn that chant, because chants bubble up at just the right moments in our lives. And also, then, to remember what's important. All the examples that you gave in countries, now we're on the macro level, are because of a need for wealth, for power, for prestige, for land, for enhancing the treasury. Yes, so that's what we want. But what's at the base of their consciousness that will make them feel that some children of God are indispensable and not that important? So that's where I keep going back to, where it seems as if we have fed this pattern of algae, the anger, the lust, the greed, the attachment, the ego, and the personality so much that we're looking at a society where everywhere you turn, you see that mirror of algae. And we need to see the face of God in each other more and more. And I love that mantra that you've just given us. You know, you're going to have me starting to sing in the song, too, when I'm done with the interview. Well, you know, so that's a good one. You may remember back to 1987, what we called the harmonic convergence, right? A whole bunch of people stood around the globe, holding hands and singing songs. 
And we said, we're going to change the world. We're going to bring peace to the world by holding hands and singing songs. And the whole world laughed at us, right? But within two to three years after that event, the Soviet Union fell. The satellite countries fell. The Berlin Wall came down. Blacks and whites started riding the bus together in Johannesburg. Protestants and Catholics stopped shooting each other in Northern Ireland. And once in a while, Jews, uh, Israelis, and Arabs sat down at peace tables. Now, did our singing songs do that? Well, probably not. But what we did was we sent the love vibration out to the world. The love vibration comes to us from the heavens. Yes. We learn from the prophet Isaiah that the angels stand on either side of the heavenly throne. This is metaphorical, of course. But what do they do? All day, they just shout, Kadosh, 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 holy, 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 sanctus, sanctus, sanctus. And that sends the love vibration around the heavenly throne and down to us. And if we sing or feel that love vibration, we send that love vibration back out to the world and it spirals around. If we hate or if we fear, that's the vibration we send to the world, and it goes all around the world and comes back to us. But if we are in constant loving presence, knowing the presence of God is right with us. Yeah. So we made another chant, which says, Great is love, eternal love. Great is love, eternal love. You don't have to learn as many words as the seeing the face of God. And if we keep that in mind, we send that love vibration out to the whole world. And who knows? Who knows? The same kinds of things that happened after 1987 can happen now. I think it's happening now. You're so adorable. Everyone, you must be loving <laughs> Rabbi with me today. You know, such a nice energy. In my teens, I remembered my parents saying to me that they met God on a mountaintop in India. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Sure. Peace out. <laughs> and then every year they kept going back to... Adorable. You're the most adorable. You know, every year they kept going back to India and they're saying, you know, Jen, God is here and he's teaching. And, you know, I would love for you. I was like, yeah, just tell him to help me with my exams and just give me some blessings. You know, all is good. And then in my 20s, I had an extremely powerful download of the energy of this pure, warm light that was popping me, opening. It was awakening me. And then I saw our teacher, Brahma Baba, face show up. Each of us have our own teachers. It's not that anyone's high or low. It's just a tribe that we are going to feel comfort in in this incarnation. So I saw the face of Brahma Baba and he was just kind of waiting to see, are you going to make effort to create a world that will become like heaven? That was such a powerful experience, Rabbi. And it started to continue more and more, the energy of God's vibration. It was just awakening in my consciousness. It turned out that I was about 24. I ended up going to India on the same mountaintop to have this experience of this coming of God's light in one of the sisters called Daddy Gulza. And I remembered sitting on that floor and my heart was beating out of my chest like, is this really going to be it? 
if this happens, what's going to happen to me? And as I sat there and I was just like so many things were coming up in my consciousness. If you looked at me from the outside, nothing was happening. You just saw a little girl sitting down in meditation and maybe looking a little bit like uncertain what was going on. But inside of my head, inside of the soul, was a whole plethora of things just like going in and out, back and forth. And then as I was feeling like I can't experience whatever this energy is that's going to come into this room, and the energy enters room as I was about to get up, and there is this wave of love and peace that just flood through the space and through me, and I just sat back, and I was like, what is that? And from that point on, it deepened for me that the energy of God's purity and light has an ability to speak through us. When that vibration came through me and through the room, I just knew that this energy of the divine, if it touches our consciousness in a pure way, magical wisdom can emerge. In many places in your book, it seems that God is talking directly to us through you. How can you know what God is saying and what God wants? Especially when we are living in such a human existence that sometimes we mix the truth and the divinity with that which isn't. You know, prayer has actually two parts. Most people know about only the first part. And that is, I talk to God and God listens. That's prayer. But prayer and therefore meditation actually has two parts. Part one, I talk to God and God listens. Part two, God talks to me and I have to listen. A prophet is simply a messenger of God. And so if we listen, 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 when God talks to us, God gives us messages. Sometimes it's only for me. Sometimes it's for me and my family. Sometimes it's for my community. Sometimes it is for a greater whole. God would never, ever give me a message that is not God's truth. I may pervert God's truth for my own means, but the pure message that I get from God is God's truth. And some of us use it just for ourselves, and some of us, you, me, others, get to give it out to the world. So, and in the book, I have a little prayer that I wrote, how to elevate our gift of prophecy, to be able to hear and to see and to envision and to daydream and to nightdream so that God uses us as a messenger of God. And we know that the truth is perverted when it is not pure for everyone. If it's just for my own means and my own power and my own wealth and my own prestige, then we know that it's not. And I have to say that religions, which are of course man-made, have perverted the truth in some cases because God gives wisdom to the world. Yes. So Judaism came along and said, ah, oh, the wisdom, the revelation we've been given by God is much better than what the pagans have. And Christianity came along and said, what we got from God is a whole lot better than what the Jews got from God. And we even call it replacement theology. And then Islam came along and said, the Quran is better than all the others, but there is wisdom in every revelation. Not only those yes. three Western religions, but in all the Eastern religions, in the American tribal religions, 
wisdom is wisdom. It belongs to the whole world. If it's Moses or Jesus or Muhammad or Krishna or whomever it is, the Buddha, wisdom is wisdom. It belongs to the whole world, and we need to listen to all of it. So that's the lesson. The lesson is there is wisdom in every place and every person and everything, and we each, each, each receive revelation from God, and we have no business saying that anybody else's revelation is not valid and not good, particularly if it's used for a perverted reason. Yeah, beautiful. You know, you write in the words of God that the absolute truth is that no group's book, no group's interpretation of me is superior to another. I know what it means, but I'd love for you to be able to articulate what does that mean and doesn't that contradict what so many religious groups and faith communities have been teaching all these years? Yes, well, that's what I just said, that no one is better than the other. They are a continuation, not a replacement. And yes, that's exactly right, and that's why religions have in many ways failed. You know what, I have to say, it's not like the religion failed, but I think the leaders sharing their interpretation of it with the intent of trying to gather numbers of people at the same token to try to live the prophet's message and path and way of life, I think we've reached a particular point where now we're realizing the whole world will have to become a temple now, and we're all going to have to carve a place in our hearts for God to sit in. And that is the religion. The religion is of love and peace and purity. But my tribe is important to me. Like you said, I could go to the church and sit with my friend who's a Jesuit or or a Christian, and he comes and sits with you in the synagogue. That why was there even a problem that we couldn't go to each other's religious places and just enjoy what we were learning from each other's way of living and culture and lifestyle? And I love that so much that I could. I have a friend, Rabbi. She's the Prince of Saudi. Oh gosh, we have to send prayers that they'll release her. I don't know why she has been put in prison, but she's been in there now for three years. Again, all because she spoke up too much and they put her in jail. Anyway, long story short, I would read my teachings called the Merli from Baba, and we would sit on the couch, legs crossed. She would have the Quran open with her beads, and she would read me things, and then we would say, what do you think he meant? Then I would say, well, here's what I think he meant. And it was just something so powerful, and I wonder if that's what you call awesome holiness which you say a twin of radical loving, you know, like what is the awesome holiness? Is that when two people can just come together from various backgrounds and just have this holy moment without worrying about each other's tribes and who they belong to? They were just sharing each other's virtues and wisdom? That's exactly right. Awesome holiness is the hereness, H-E-R-E, the hereness of God, the divine presence. The divine spirit, Hebrew is Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit that is right amongst us. You know, they say that if two people eat together without a word of Torah, without a word of wisdom, then they've wasted the meal. Yeah. And also, holiness is also the responsibility of one human being to another. Yes. You know, we have yes. this supper sticker in America that says, do a, a random act of kindness. 
Yeah. That's nice. So I pay for the coffee in the Starbucks line, right? Random acts of kindness. <laughs> but the Hebrew word for what we call in America charity or philanthropy, the Hebrew word is tzedakah, from the Hebrew root meaning righteousness. That is what we do. It's not a random act of kindness. It's an obligated act of kindness, a responsibility of one human being to another. If you are hungry, I am hungry. If you are homeless, I am homeless. And if I happen to have the merits at the moment of having a home or food, then God says to me, not all yours. It belongs to all my children. So you don't write a check to, quote, a charity because you had a good year or your heart moves you or your accountant tells you that you need a tax deduction this year. You do it because you have an obligation of one human being to another. That's not only the work, the generosity of your checkbook, but it's also the work of your hands, that we go out and that we help each and every human being. If you have time, I'll tell you a story. I was in New York a long time ago, and I was on Madison Avenue trying to check out Brooks Brothers, and there was a very fine-looking young woman holding a baby with a big cardboard sign that said, I'm a starving artist. Can you please help me? Now, when I'm in New York, I always carry dollar bills in my pants pockets because I give out money. You know, people who say, oh, they're just going to use it for drugs or, or liquor. If that's what gets them through the night, that's okay. But I figure well, a woman with a baby is going to buy some milk for the kid. Well, it was raining and it was misting and it was cold. And I was wearing a button-up trench coat and a sport coat underneath it and a scarf around my neck and a hat that kept trying to blow off and gloves. And I took off my gloves and I reached in through my trench coat and into my pants pocket. I didn't have any dollar bills left. I'd given them all out. And in that split second, I walked by her. The face of that woman, 35 years later, haunts me every single day. Wow. Every day that I was in New York, I went back to 42nd Street in Madison every day that I was still in town, hoping I could find her again, and I couldn't. Wow. She wasn't there yet. That haunts me every single day. Why do you it think it does? In my life. No, but why do you think it does? Because I didn't do what a human being is supposed to do to help another, another human being. being. Wow. What a beautiful story, Rabbi. You know, there's a need for us to stay more positive right now and to inspire others in a world that's filled with such uncertainty. Is that the answer? Help each other out if we're in need? Is that the way that we can inspire each other to make the world be a little bit of a better place? Absolutely. You know, another story. When my kids were little, we tried to invoke the teaching of an ancient sage. It said of him, that if he needed a piece of meat, he'd go to the marketplace and buy two, one for himself and one for the hungry in his neighborhood. If he needed a bunch of vegetables, he would buy two. One. So when the kids were little, every time we went shopping, we would buy one extra item of non-perishable food, a box of cereal, a box of mac and cheese, a can of tuna fish, a jar of peanut butter. Didn't even take it into the house. It had a grocery sack that we kept in the trunk of the car. And when we had two or three sacks filled, we would take it to the local food pantry. Well, I'm in the store one day with my youngest kid, who was five or six at the time. He's now pushing 50. And I took a box of cereal off the shelf, and I said to him, Honey, how about this 
cereal for our food gift this week? And he said to me, no. And he grabbed the cereal out of my hand, put it back on the shelf, stood on his little tippy toes on the cart, and took a different box of cereal. And he said, look, Dad, this will be our food gift this week. And I said to him, honey, what's the difference? And he said, look, you don't get it. There are hungry kids out there, too. And kids like sugar frosted flakes better than we like Cheerios. Now, in an instant, that child taught me to see not a category of people, the hungry, the mm-hmm. homeless, the yeah. poor. But he taught me to see the face of a child who we might yeah. be helping. So I always tell people, I made up this little acronym, F-A-N-A-M-I, find a need and meet it. Mm-hmm. So, for example, years ago, you probably remember, our house burned down in the Southern California wildfire. And everybody came to us and said, anything you need, just let me know, anything you need, give me a call, just ask. The kindest, gentlest, sweetest, and one of the wealthiest men I knew came to me and said, Rabbi, whatever is mine is yours, just ask me. What was I going to say? Take me to dinner, buy me a suit, build me a house? What was I going to say? So, you know, when that happens and people say, call me, ask me for anything, no one ever does. So find a need and meet it. Help your fellow human being. If, God forbid, there's a tragedy, somebody dies, you say to the mourner, I understand your Uncle Charlie's coming in for the funeral. Let me know his plane reservations. I'll go to the airport and pick him up. Or maybe your good suit's still the cleaner. Give me the ticket. I'll go get it. Or don't worry about the kids tonight. I'll take them for pizza and a movie. That's and meeting it and just doing it. But that's also radical love because radical love will even pick up what's the need without you even having to ask for it. Exactly. That's the depth of love. That's the kind of love we need more and more right now in the world, that I don't even have to ask you to let you know what my need is. Your heart just knows. Right. Yeah. Very rare breed. For example, sister, if you weren't feeling well, if you were unhappy and depressed, Mm -hmm. I need to know you, your being. And Oh Hasidus' story said, uh, one said to another, do you love me? And he said, of course I love you. He said, how do I feel today? I don't know. How would I know how you feel today? If you don't know how I feel today, you don't love me. Well, you have to well, tune in the consciousness of every other human being. You know, there's so much that you've just said. One is, I'm going to pull purity from what you've said, that the energy of innocence, you know, that he could just know that it was more the need of a child, the child's love, the child's presence. And I feel that each of us has this energy of purity recorded in the soul, and it's like the childlike nature of the soul. And if we're being abused, or if we are being selfish, or if we get angry, it's almost as if automatic the child in you knows, I don't think you're supposed to be doing that to the soul. And I feel that there is a need to give more attention to that purity in the soul so that the purity in our soul can actually be so alert in discerning what the soul should do and should not do anymore. To be able to have that energy of love to reach out in a time of need even before you ask for anything. Exactly. And then the whole energy of love You know, we talk a lot about love. I've got a love plaque right now that I'm looking at in the studio as we're talking. And every time I come up and I see it, 
I think about this energy and I went, if we all loved, it would be the golden age. And I was asking Baba, God, what is it that has reduced the living frequency of this vibration? And he said, attachment. You've gotten attached to your name, your gender, your position, your religion, and you separated yourself from other people thinking that you're better than they are or that that race is better than yours. And so it's reduced the energy of love and the story of the little boy. He didn't have that. He only was love and purity. So it feels as if the real call of the time is that the awakening that needs to occur in our world now is that purity needs to come back into the soul. That energy of love needs to return to the self so that you can deal with your marriage that's not been working out very well. You can deal with that supervisor at work. You don't see eye to eye with, but you still can love them. And there's something you said that I really like, that God just loves us the same. And there's a quote that I live by, love everybody the same. And you're the first person that I've heard share this about, just God loves everyone the same. Now, can you do that? Perhaps that's one of the greatest messages that we're trying to pick up from the ethers at this time. What is your final message for our better humanity to rise above all of this decisiveness and chaos that we're witnessing every day? In the Bible and the New Testament, do not fear, do not be afraid is used over 300 times. So why do we behave the way we behave? Because we're afraid. We're afraid that you'll get the job, you'll have the money, you'll have the house, You'll have the fancy car, and I won't. And if you have it, I can't get it. And so throughout history, but particularly now, forgive me, but the rhetoric of the coming out of the highest places of government for five years or so was demonize the other. Because if the other has, you won't have. And my message is simply love the other because there's more than enough for everybody. And if we love each other, and we love God, God loves us, and we will all love each other. And we will live in radical love and awesome holiness, and as complex as it is, it's also as simple as that. Rabbi Dalsik, thank you so much for always gracing our show with just your beauty and your love and warmth and kindness and beautiful voice, by the way. Right. So thanks again so much for joining us. Leave us with the best website that folks can get in touch with you. Radicallovingbook.com. So it's Radical Loving. There are two L's in the middle there. Radicallovingbook.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. You must have loved our time together, didn't you? Please let us know in the comments field and do keep in touch with Rabbi Dasik. As we continue to navigate, we're getting a lot more clearer. Did you hear everything the rabbi shared with us today? Doesn't it make sense? Isn't it common sense? Doesn't it touch the purity of your innocence? What is stopping you from rising above all the stuff and the chaos? What is it? Is it a little bit of attachment? Is it selfishness? Is it me? Is it mine? Is it the ego? So why not let those go if they're not getting you where you want? Why not begin to recognize that the wisdom that is in you wants to be used It wants you to use it so that you can bring that divinity and that love and that radical love into the planet. We need it now more than ever before. There is a golden age that's coming. There is no doubt in my mind 
that a better civilization isn't before us. I'm just saying, what energy you're going to feed to get there sooner than later. Thank you for joining us on The Next Normal and America Meditating Radio. Hope to see you again really, really soon. And please take care of your mind, your heart, and each other. Take good care. All the best. When I was asked by Sacred Stories Publishing to write a book on mystical divine experiences, initially I said, no, those are too private. But then when they came back again to urge me to do it, I said, why not? It'll be of service because over 25 co-authors would have would be joining me on this journey to share their own experiences. In meditation, intimate experiences with the divine through contemplating practices, you will read stories from our co-authors of a heartfelt clarity about a father's death giving his son a new life. You will hear the story of a woman embracing her wounded inner child and healing herself. You will even hear stories about an inexplicable medical miracle and so much more. This book has a life of its own. You will learn how listening to your inner silence can help you overcome life obstacles and reclaim your spiritual power. I hope that you'll be able to dive deep into this and maybe even explore your own mystical and divine experiences for your life to change, for your life to become one that is completely full and rich of everything good. Enjoy, and thank you for looking into meditation, intimate experiences with the divine through contemplative practices. Happy Holidays, located at 6838 Piedmont in Gainesville, Virginia, where a family-owned restaurant and offer authentic Asian cuisine and sushi. Come, savor our delicacies made with love and enjoy the perfect ambiance. We look forward to seeing you there. I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care. <laughs>